Hello and welcome to Oklahoma Ghost Stories and Other Phenomena. I am your host, Brad Heath. Tonight, our guest is Danny Snow of Okmulgee, Oklahoma. Danny is a hypnotist, amongst many other things. His work in that field and the field of uh, the paranormal is very interesting, and we'll dive into all of that, plus his military career, the subconscious, hauntings, and any other topic concerning the mind that we can think of tonight. But first, let me tell you about our tonight's sponsor. It is the Military History Center and Museum in Broken Arrow, Oklahoma. The museum features many artifacts from as early as the American Revolutionary War to modern wars in Iraq and Afghanistan. You'll find displays on the Civil War, World War I, World War II, Korea, Vietnam, and Desert Storm. The new Native Americans in the military display does not disappoint, and they are currently expanding an exhibit on the Holocaust. Find them on Facebook or call 918-794-2712, located in the Rose District in downtown Broken Arrow. It's a, it's a great day trip if you're looking for something to do this holiday season. Take a walk through history at the Military History Center and Museum in Broken Arrow. And of course, as always, be sure and subscribe to the podcast. You can find us on Anchor, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Breaker, and others anywhere you go to get your podcast fixed. We should be there. And as always, if you're so inclined to become a Patreon member, go to patreon.com forward slash OGS underscore OK, and you can uh, set your Patreon account up there as well. So let's dive in to tonight's episode with Danny Snow. Danny, thanks for joining us tonight. I know you've done work in the uh, uh, as a hypnotist, but you're also... You have a decorated military career. You were enlisted in the Army, making the rank of staff sergeant before going on to officer cadet school, where you were commissioned and eventually made the rank of captain. You've been deployed several times to the Middle East, working side by side with all branches of service and intelligence agencies. You spent 21 months in Iraq, where you were witness to many things most people probably only will ever see in a movie. 24 years of service in the United States Army. Your work in Iraq was to develop a protocol for dealing with events that have mass witnesses. We'll dive into that as well. Over 1,300 combat engineer missions. Needless to say, you've seen and done a lot. You have a master's degree from American Military University, and you've been through several schools and various types of training over the years. Danny, you are a very busy man. Well, thank you, Brad. (laughs) So let's dive into how you first got involved in hypnotherapy, because that's that's a very interesting subject to me. Of course, I'm going to backtrack a little bit and get into some of that military career, being a military guy myself. Uh, but how did you first get involved and decide that uh, you wanted to become a, a hypnotist? Well, I took a psychology class in high school down here in Oak Mulgee. And uh, we talked about hypnosis, and they brought in a hypnotist. And uh, the hypnotist actually took us through what's called uh, progressive relaxation. And I was just blown away by it. And uh, I wanted to be a hypnotist. I looked at all the colleges, and there was no such thing as a four-year degree in hypnosis. And anyway, so I had to study on my own. And... uh, Long story short, I ended up going to Jinx Hypnosis uh, School, becoming a certified hypnotist, and uh, here I am. (laughs) 
Well, and it's very interesting because uh, looking over your resume and the fields that you use this craft in is really just amazing. Anything from divorce to, to, to criminal trial support, um, cold case support, profiling terrorists. I mean, there are a lot of different ways that you use this skill. Um, let's let's talk about some of those. Like how does a how does hypnosis help in in divorce coaching? Oh wow, I'm I'm actually working on a class right now with uh, HypnoBiz and Hypnosis World, where they're they want they want my divorce coaching, and uh, basically uh, it depends on the scope of work that you want to do with a client. Uh, some people they like uh, weight loss, smoking, anxiety, stress reduction. Uh, I because of my background. Uh, in helping people, uh, I was part of the American Dream demonstration uh, with uh, President Clinton. He he did this big study, and uh, but I was at the Tulsa site with Community Action Project at Tulsa County, and we learned how to build people up. And so I took my hypnosis skills and said, "Hey, let's combine hypnosis with money management and with some." Uh, experiences that I had in the divorce field and put it together. And uh, it sounds complicated, but it's really not. Um, But yeah, that's, (laughs) you know, without getting down into the weeds too deep, uh, most divorces have nine components to them. And uh, I break down the nine components and I've won my last 113 divorce cases. Wow. And, and being in a court of law and being in front of a judge is nothing new because you've also been a part of uh, thousands of criminal court cases in which, uh, you know, you're, you're doing trial support there. What, what has that been like for you? Oh, man, that's cool. <laughs> I mean, um, my, my, uh, I, uh, I'm also the uh, operations manager for a law firm, and the reason I got to that position was uh, a prosecutor and she's very famous in Oklahoma. She wanted to be able to win her, you know, and she has a 93% success rate before I even come on board. Wow. uh, I mean, she, I mean, prosecutor of the year (laughs) for Oklahoma. Um, And so you go in there and what we do is we shine up the client like if you've got a DUI, um, I will work with you to get you into to professional counseling or therapy. Uh, we'll start the process, uh, getting you cleaned back up and, and where you're safe back in society again. And uh, we, this, we've been working with a veteran the last couple of days. And uh, he went to Afghanistan saw some terrible stuff and he drinks too much now. Yeah. And we're working, we've got him going to the VA. We've got him doing some outpatient stuff, but that's the kind of stuff I do for trial support. When I, well, and then for the, the other part of it is reading juries. Uh, I'm a behavioral practitioner and uh, I can do the deception detection Um and so we know when juries have got biases. And so it's, it's, it's pretty good. Well, before I get in too deep with 
your work in uh, law. Let, let's backtrack just a little bit. What exactly, because I think when most people hear hypnosis, I think your mind automatically goes to, you know, a doctor or somebody with a, with a big watch and it's swaying back and forth in front of your face and they're counting you down and, 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 and they really don't understand exactly what it is to be in that state. So explain to us, explain to the listeners what it really means to be under hypnosis. Okay. Well, the average person automatically goes into hypnosis seven to eight times a day. Um, You've heard the term highway hypnosis or uh, revelry, uh, like you're listening to your favorite song on the radio and you're all of a sudden the song's over and you don't know where you were. That's hypnosis. Yeah. I mean, it's, you know, highway hypnosis, people drive to work every day and they don't remember the drive and their subconscious is in total control of that vehicle. And uh, I actually spent three months studying highway hypnosis. Um, And what you want to do, if you've got a long trip and you kind of fade in and out or you get sleepy, you want one level of discomfort, like too hot, too cold, the window open, window down, a terrible radio station, something that's just distracting to you mentally. And that'll keep you from going into highway hypnosis. But hypnosis is a natural state. You go into it right before you go to sleep. You go into it, you know, from the time you wake up until you start functioning, you're in a state of light hypnosis. Um, To get you into hypnosis, and when I pull out that pocket watch, it puts people into hypnosis so fast. It's not even, (laughs) they expect to go into hypnosis. And uh, if if you've done your pre-talk right, you know, because hypnosis is a heightened state of awareness. And it, uh, I mean, you're completely present in what's going on around you. Now, there's like 10 levels of hypnosis. Uh, The first three is usually, they're shallow, they're waking hypnosis, and then you go down deeper into where you can actually do surgery on people. But, uh, okay. So what, what if you, can, can anyone do this? I mean, what if you are like really high, strong, high energy, you're always on the go, you, you know, to relax, it really uh, takes a lot to kind of shut the mind down and even go to sleep. Can, can someone like that be put under hypnosis? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Those guys are easy. You know, uh, an ADHD uh, client uh, or a very hyperactive kid, you've got to do multiple things in order to put them into hypnosis. You got to be tapping your feet, clicking your fingers. It's, you know, and you've got to distract them so much that you can say, okay, now relax. <laughs> tell me, tell me the toughest case you've ever come across where getting the person to relax and getting them in that state was just almost impossible. Uh, I actually had a failure <laughs> about uh, last Saturday <laughs> and uh, the, the poor lady, um, the phone was going crazy. Uh, we got her away from the phone uh, but she was so amped up, I couldn't do it. I, she would not go into hypnosis. And that, happens, wow. and that happens every once in a while. They're just so amped up. Now, my plan is to go back in a couple of days, and uh, I'll do it again. So, But, yeah, it's, yeah. it happens. 
That I mean, it's such an interesting field because the mind itself is an area that I think we don't know enough about. And, uh, you know, when you're in that state, what what types of things can you help people with when you have them under hypnosis? Okay, this is the one I was famous for when I was in the Army. Captain Snow, can you come to the firing range and talk to so-and-so? He cannot hit the target with his rifle. (laughs) Can you do that thing you do? And I would go out there, and I'd lay down beside him while they're trying to shoot, and I would tell him the story. And uh, when I was telling him the story, I was getting their breathing normal. I was getting them relaxed, and I got them out of their head where they could shoot. And they'd qualify like expert, you know. And they'd come running up to me afterwards and like, Cap Snow, Cap Snow, I'm an expert. I'm an expert. What'd you score? I'd be like, Archman. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, man. <laughs> but, so, so we're going to have to, uh, we'll have to talk because last time I qualified, I just qualified. I, I haven't shot expert in years. So maybe I need some help with that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I've got a product that I've, I've got out there called Jacksonville. And supposedly this spring, a uh, retired SEAL team, they all got together and formed a, a security company, and they're going to be using one of my products. Wow, that's neat. That's that's very cool. Yeah. Now, so when you are working with uh, an individual, you're, you're obviously seeing all types of, of people from all different walks of life, and, and, and they're coming to you for for different things. Is there an area or a field that you feel like you're really, that, that you really excel in that you're, you know, the top of your game at, is, is there something like in that area of hypnosis as a therapist that you feel like every single time you get this particular type of case, you know, you're going to hit a home run. Uh, well, the forensics, cases the the actual criminal cases figuring out stuff um the last time i checked my figures i had like a 98 percent uh solve rate for for crimes um and basically what i do is i take a crime and i kind of storyboard it and then from there i look at where the witnesses would be uh i did a child abduction a couple of years ago where i literally worked with all of the people in the trailer park that followed that saw the van abduct the girl and drive off and i i hypnotized like seven people and got the information from them wow so when when you say doing a storyboard you're 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 doing that in your mind uh no i got a giant whiteboard in my office (laughs) and uh like i'll use google earth um yeah, yeah. So you're actually you're, you're you're actually using uh pictures to put the story together. Yes. Okay. Yeah, I what about I did when I when I started doing that, I did it in Iraq. Uh a convoy would get hit at a certain location and then I would go back and say, "Okay, the convoy got hit in Fallujah. Okay, what would they have went by? What did they see? Who saw what?" And I would build it that away. Gotcha. And you bring up your military service, I, you, you know, you being a captain in the army. First, let me ask you this, because I, 
I was raised by a, a 21 year Marine and then I joined the Air Force. What what prompted you to join the Army? Well, my dad wanted me to join the Air Force. <laughs> and, uh, Hold on, Danny. We'll get you back on here in a second. We, we, we lost you there for a second. My 22 year veteran, of course, he was. And he wanted me to join the Air Force. So I turned around and joined the Army instead. Yeah, well, and, and my dad being a Marine, he was kind of pushing me towards the Marine Corps, but ultimately he said, you know, it's your decision. You do which, whichever you want. And so. I'd spent uh, 18 years in the Marines, I felt like, so I was ready for something different. But your your service in the Army, you went from enlisted to officer, which doesn't happen a lot. I mean, it happens, but it doesn't happen all the time. Tell us about that transition going from, you know, being a staff sergeant, being an NCO to now becoming an officer. Uh, that was – and I went to officer candidate school, uh, OCS, and uh, it's like it's like the most brutal thing. Uh, the last two weeks of OCS are the equivalent to U.S. because uh, of the missions. You're you're continually doing mission, the infantry missions. But uh, the right and the thing is, I was in the engineer battalion, the 120th engineer battalion, and uh, their officer, officer, but they wouldn't, they didn't like me. Uh, we had. A, one of their warrant officers a while back and uh, so I couldn't be a cav officer go, staying with my battalion and that was the best thing that could have ever happened to me um, the people that I was the people oh, I was yeah. working with they knew me as Sergeant Snow and so I had a lot of credibility with them <laughs> well and you know how it is too when you've got uh, seasoned NCOs uh, and you've got uh, you know some some brass out there sometimes that 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 brass might want to hear from those seasoned ncos and uh those guys tend to have a little more respect uh than some others say you, you know your your first and second lieutenants but you made the rank of captain which is a great rank as an officer because you're you know you're not quite up there to the top but you're also not yeah. at the bottom yeah every time i i applied for my advanced course i got deployed <laughs> and uh the, yeah, the last time I did it, because I, I was finishing up the Wounded Warrior program, and they were, we didn't know if they were going to keep me or not. And so I applied for my advanced program, and I walked down the hall, and I hear the uh, training NCO screaming my name. And he goes, how could you do this to us? We just got our deployment orders for Afghanistan. <laughs> and, uh, and anyway, but they kicked me out, so... <laughs> <laughs> well, while you were serving, you did a lot of uh, terrorist profiling. I know just from reading your notes here that you've, uh, uh, I think the number was 92 bad actors off the battlefield in Iraq. Well, Tell us about how you go about profiling a terrorist. And obviously, uh, you know, you being a captain and me uh, being in the service now, obviously we can't share anything classified. And I don't think you would anyway, but um it, that is a very interesting area because really you're fighting an enemy that's not going to wear a uniform. They are going to be in civilian clothing, yet you're out there trying to profile them to try and determine, you know, who are the bad actors. 
Yeah. Um, the one that got me famous, um, the actual number was 297. And, um, wow. but, and this is, this is people, the Marines used to give me a hard time. Okay. <laughs> um, I, there was this a convoy got attacked and two of our guys were right there when it happened. And they were the only two people that saw what happened. And, uh, so this regimental commander from the Marine Corps came down to our battalion headquarters and started this uh, interview. But it, he did all the talking. And uh, But anyway, when he was all done, I said, hey, you know where this happened, where this attack happened? And the guy goes, oh, yeah. And, uh, and I said, was there anything unusual about this? And I, he goes, well, there was a van, but the top half of the van was cut off. It was the weirdest thing. And the sergeant major, the regimental sergeant major, jumps up, runs back to me. And I thought he was going to hit me. But he grabs the phone next to me. Yeah, I didn't, I didn't know, man. I never worked with the Marines before. <laughs> and, uh, and he grabs the phone and says, this is sergeant major. Launch the predator with the Hellfire missile. And in the space of about 10 minutes, we targeted this uh, this location, and uh, I then turned around and said, "Hey, can you tell me who was in charge?" And the Marine Colonel looks at me and goes, "How are these people going to know who's in charge?" And the specialist who's been getting interviewed goes, "Well, Captain So says the guy at you and waving at his wrist to kill you." <laughs> and, uh, and him and the sergeant major look at each other. And uh, they came up with a description and stuff. And anyway, um, I got to interview that guy after the Hellfire missile hit the building and blew it up. Um, this one particular guy had a meeting dysentery. He was outside the building when it blew up and he got knocked out. And I got the interviewing. And uh, yeah, I would... wow, that you know your your work in that in that field and your work you know, being deployed in the Middle East, I'm sure saved ca a, a countless number of lives. And so, you know, as a, as a military person myself, you know, I, you know, thank you for okay. that. Thank you for your service and looking out for, for everybody. Um, when, when you're overseas and you're deployed like that, it, th there's a lot of things that go into that, that, you know, the average citizen, the average person at home doesn't really know or understand it's, it's one of those things where you, you, you're you're in a foreign land and you're you're fighting an enemy that you can barely identify and and yet um, you know here you are and you've got a you've got a mission to complete and it's no wonder that some of these guys come back and they do need help. Um, you mentioned Wounded Warrior pro, uh, program. What uh, have you done with those mostly, guys? I was uh, I was one of their Wounded Warriors. <laughs> um, I do I do help uh, guys that have come back. Uh, usually I refer them to counseling. Uh, I, uh, I talk with them a little bit and, you know, um, it's not uncommon. I, and I've been out of the military for, uh, I guess, 10 years now. Um, one of my guys will call me up and say, Hey man, I need help. And, uh, I'll work with them and get them to the VA or, or whatever I need to do. But, uh, yeah, I was in the Wounded Warrior Prog. They actually call it the uh, Warrior Transition Unit. 
but uh, yeah, I was there for two and a half years. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Great yeah work, when I got there, I could barely walk, and they were telling me I was either going to have to have a walker or at least one cane, and uh, I'm I'm fine. I mean, I I do have my days, but and stairs kill me. But yeah, I'm I'm pretty good. Well, that's that's good to hear, and it's good to know that uh, you know the guys that you serve with that uh, before they do something drastic, at least they're reaching out to you, and and uh, you know exactly what to do to get them some help and can help them. So uh, again, I, I I commend you for that, and I think it's fantastic. Let, let let's dive back into your work on the criminal side of things because I know just from reading your notes again that you've helped in a couple of uh, homicides, uh, serial murder type type uh, cases uh what what can you tell us about that type of work and that that seems to me like the the peak of criminal investigation yeah um solving a murder that is that's incredible um the book that i'm going to recommend to your your listeners is uh mind hunter and uh mind hunter by jonathan douglas and i was reading that book when a sheriff's deputy, I was at a hospital, a friend of mine was having surgery and he sits down beside me and says, you know, where have you been? And I said, well, I've been in Trinidad <laughs> for the last three months. And he goes, did you hear about the murder? And I said, no. And uh, I said, wait, let me tell you about it. Was it a male or female? And I went through this flow chart in my head and I picked out who the killer was. And uh, he gets on the phone, calls the sheriff. Um, the guy had done all the classic stuff. Uh, he had, you know, the, the girl's name was Danica and uh, he had dumped her body in a certain place. And I mean, just everything. And then he was bugging them, bugging them, bugging them about where they were in the investigation. He was the last person to see her alive too. So it was like, it was a give me, but, uh, but solving that one, that was a big, that was a big thing. And well, you, you mentioned Mindhunter. I know, you know, that, that, oh, yeah. that book's been out for a while. And uh, I think even, even Netflix did like a series on it uh, for, for a couple of seasons based off that book. And, and it's all very, very interesting stuff. It's how, you know, the intelligence world began to to profile serial killers, which is where the term eventually come from. And uh, how let me ask you this, and you may not have the answer to this question, but I've 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 heard different numbers and I've heard different different theories behind this, but on on any given day or any given year, how many serial killers do you think we have in the United States? You know, I used to know that number, <laughs> and uh, um, I'm going to say probably maybe 200, 300 at the most, but I could be wrong. Um, with Corona. Uh, and the people being locked down, they've got more time to, you know, go into the dark side of their mind. And I don't know. It, that's that's going to be interesting. Oh, yeah. You think oh, that yeah. number could climb oh, once yeah, we it'll climb. get through this pandemic? In fact, it's probably yeah. already climbing and we just don't know it. You know, because you got people you know, right. locked in their homes. Um there's going to be a killer out there that's going to take advantage of that. You know, I've often heard that 
there is a and, and there is a theory on this and that several of them are actual you know long oh, yeah, yeah. truck drivers um and not to knock that profession uh, you know obviously we got to have those guys and gals they're the ones bringing us our food and and everything else we need to survive on a daily basis but it does seem to to, to fit a scenario where you're constantly on the move. It's tough to pin you down anywhere. And, and you can, you can find all, all sorts of types of people at, oh, yeah. at truck stops. or Yeah. You, you you've hit on something because my last three uh, pedophile cases where we were asked to uh, defend the pedophile and we didn't take them because that we don't do that, but they were all truck drivers. And it, not only that, but I mean, they had their cell phones. They, I mean, they had so much evidence against them, and their wives were the ones that would call us, and they would be like, my husband couldn't have done this. And we're like, yeah, yeah, we could have because we got him on, you know, they got him on film. They got him, you know, and he was actively pursuing a 13-year-old who turned out to be a 38-year-old police officer pretending to be a 13-year-old. And, and he wasn't looking for wow. them. They started hunting him. That was the sad part. So, yeah. Well, and, you know, I think, too, like you were saying with this pandemic, you know, people being able to uh, be locked down, you know, idle yeah. hands is the devil's playground. So they, they have plenty of time to come up with different scenarios and new ways of doing things. When When this pandemic is lifted, and, and and who knows when that's going to be, but eventually, you know, we'll probably get to that point. What other problems are people going to have or what other problems are people facing? Obviously, you know, isolation is 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 detrimental to the human body, human spirit. Um, what are, are we going to see like an uptick in, in psychological issues with just average, ordinary, well, uh, everyday Japan's people? suicide rate has gone through the roof. Um. And I'm not sure. I know Canada is having difficulties right now. Uh, they've been locked down way more than the U.S. has been. Um, we're gonna we're gonna see. Like I said, we're gonna see a lot of crazy come out. If you look at the 1918 flu epidemic, and that's one of my hobbies to study, um, and uh, because it had such an impact on the United States when it happened. Um, You'll go to an old cemetery and you'll see like a hundred old sandstones. Well, those sandstones are usually a family that died in the flu epidemic. And um, wow! And I, I I could talk for hours about the 1918 flu epidemic, but it circled the globe four times before it was finally done. And every mutation, it was just a little less, you know, lethal. But uh, one of the, are you seeing are oh, you yeah. seeing any parallels oh, yeah. between yeah. 1918 see, and today? Everybody thinks that um, the blow up in China was the big blow up the first time, and then it died down. And uh, the thing is, um, with global tran uh, tr uh, transport, it there's a little puff, which is what we had last year, and then now the big puff is happening. If that makes sense. 
you know, because the original yeah, 1918 right. flu epidemic, it blew up at Fort Riley, Kansas, and then it died down. And then it came back, and it took the whole world over. Yeah, and they had they had less exactly. world travel yeah. going on. Yeah, well, time. and what Obviously. hurt was the World War One activities because the Fort Riley soldiers went to all the other different posts, and uh, and then that sped up the, the right. infection rate. Right. Yeah, and it's a very interesting subject because there's obviously a a way to handle it, and there's a vaccine that's that's being made available now, and whether you're in the camp of you're not going to take it or you're going to take it, you know, I mean, eventually you're either going to get it or you're going to take the vaccine more than likely. It's, it's like the common cold or the flu. Um, our, our medical doctors and, and the people who are leading the charge on this, just in your professional opinion, someone who studied pandemics, are they yes. headed in the right yeah. direction? Yeah, they are. And they've learned a lot since the 1918 flu epidemic. Um, I mean, in 1918, uh, Louis Pasteur had the wrong idea, and he led the whole industry the wrong direction. Um, but now we've got more people, we've got more professionals, and it's it's working a lot better. Yeah. Well, and it seems like, you know, we're coming into those winter months. There's exactly. supposed to be flu months, and, you know, everybody everybody should have a heightened sense of what's going on around them anyway. And so, you know, this thing's going to play out in front of us no matter what. And I've, I've actually known a few people to have it. I've had a family member, a family member that had it. Uh, it wasn't really, you know, that bad for them, but obviously it, it, it can be for, for other folks. So, you know, hopefully we, uh, we come out of this. Yeah. Thing a well, like I said, and it'll years. mutate and then it'll come back as a flu and it'll mutate. It'll come back as a flu again. Um, most of the time it was in the winter months after the, after the, the big, the big bad time. Yeah. So let's talk about Camp Gruber. I know you spent two years actually, at Camp Gruber. Actually you were, five years uh, at Camp Gruber. I just posted Commander's house. Yeah. Yeah. Five I was years. there okay. when they built uh, phase one and started on phase two. Nice. Now, Tell me about the commander's house that you lived in, because you did mention that that oh, house my had goodness, some funny man. things about it. Okay. Uh, every morning at 2.10, everybody in the building would be woken up. They would raise up, and they would go back to sleep. There was such a burst of psychic energy. <laughs> I'd never seen and, and see, if you're easily trained like I am, you know, you know, at 2.08, it's time to wake up, and I would be awake, and I would watch everybody raise up and then go b- lay back down. It's incredible. Um, I had, uh, well, everybody that, when they found out that I was living down there with, with there was like three of us, um, they would tell us their ghost stories. And uh, one, one guy, uh, he was the guy that helped build the water treatment plant uh, back in the, back in the late eighties. Um, and he really good warrant officer, okay. awesome guy. Well, he was spending the night down there on a drill weekend. Cause they used to, that's what they used to do. Uh, the barracks hadn't been built yet. And anyway, he hears this terrible commotion 
And he goes downstairs into the basement and he sees this far off light in one of the, the engineer rooms. He goes down there, jumps in because he's thinking somebody's tearing up government property and there's the light goes out and he gets beat up all the way back up the stairs. And he's cut up, beat up, and he's like, wow. don't spend the night down there and never go in the basement by yourself. And that was one of the rules we had. Um, yeah, I mean, uh, at about 4.15 every day, you would either hear doors slam or somebody would run up the staircase. And uh, it was crazy. It, and, you know, I'm, I mean... Um, <laughs> I had a one of the old double Thunderbirds. Uh, he had been in Korea, and uh, he said, "You know, I've had some horrific experiences, but the night that I stayed in that old house, that was the worst of, of my entire life." And uh, wow! But uh, yeah, um, I took uh, twenty army men one time as an experiment, and I put them on the staircase going up to the second floor and uh they were all over the place the next day uh, and two of them are still missing yeah well my thought process was i thought it was a young boy because we would go to take a uh you know shave and the light would start flashing and the water would spray us and it was like a game every morning we played and the game wasn't over until you come out of there with a wet t-shirt and, uh, but we, that's kind of, that's the environment that that old house was. But if you followed the rules, like not going in the basement when you were the only one in the house, you were in good shape, but, it, but you didn't break the rules. Um, did you, did you ever hear of any other hauntings? Uh, a couple, a couple of people reported, uh, Okay, are you familiar with the old officer picnic grounds? Okay, on that yes. hill, they saw some ghostly figures. Um, they, like a woman, maybe a man, that kind of stuff. Um, let me think, let me go back in time. Um, there. Well, I know, I know at Fort Gibson, there have been people who have seen soldiers marching. Oh, I believe it. Um, at times. I mean, yeah. Um, yeah. We uh, we brought a psychic down one time to go through the old house, and we got her in the parking lot uh, of where, you know where the old house was, Building One, and she wouldn't get out of the car. She said there was like seven spirits, and there was something like a demon in the back or in the basement and uh, she wouldn't get out of the car and, and my friend had to take her back home. And uh, of course I'm in the house by myself, <laughs> you know, following these rules that we made. <laughs> well, well, you're a tough army guy. You yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, man. It's, I tell you, um, the, um, yeah, man, it was crazy. I mean, there were, I, I, I took my ex-wife up there one time to let her look in the building and something poked her when we were looking through the windows and she jumped and she thought I did it, but I was way across on the other side of the porch. 
And uh, I was like, you see what I had to live with? <laughs> right, right. Yeah, that's enough to make anybody yeah. probably get back in the car. You've, you've done some, some paranormal investigating uh, over the years. Tell me a little bit about that. I know you've gone to some houses and different buildings and things. What got you started in that? And, and what, well, you know, give me some of your curiosity. Um, the first thing was in, in the early days, I would use a compass. Uh, my thought process was, is if there's something in here drawing energy, it's, the compass is going to tell you what's going on. You know, if it goes off north, you, got, you know something's going on. And, uh, and I've been in rooms, and I was, I was a poor ghost hunter. I, I didn't have a video camera. Um, but the, the compass would go to, like, to the east or the west and uh, things like that. Um, what I, the big breakthrough was I got to thinking about if you live in a haunted house, when you go to sleep, what is the ghost telling you? And so I would hypnotize people mm. and say, what, what, what? Yeah, yeah. And um, the, the worst one I had was uh, there was a 17-year-old, and he was getting straight A's up until he changed houses. Now, he was still in the same school district, in the same school, but he changed houses. And in three weeks, this kid was on the edge of killing himself. He was completely depressed. And so we put him into hypnosis. And I'm like, what? What is going on? And he's like, I'm so depressed. I want to die. I want to be with my wife and children. And he started going on about this. And I was like, holy cow, you guys need to get out of this house. This is, this is not good. And... Um, yeah, man, it was it's stuff like that. The, the the scariest one was up around Drumrite, and uh, I didn't actually go to the house, but I talked to the woman a couple of times, and um, it chairs were flying around in the room, <laughs> doors were slamming shut, um, windows pain or windows were slamming shut on people's hands um it killed her dog i mean it was it was bad and uh while i was talking to her on the phone and it's august i was hot um but i could see my breath in the house here <laughs> and uh i was like there was there's something you know something that strong you don't want to mess with <laughs> right right that, that, that requires that requires somebody with some training in that area to be able to take out something like that. Yeah. And, uh, she had actually brought two or three psychics in and they, they didn't know what to do. They, you know, one, there's some sort of a vortex. There was three houses, uh, her mom's house, her grandma's house, and then her house and grandma's house. Grandma had died. And, that thing had lured her dog down there to kill it. And as soon as that dog was gone, that's when everything really got bad at her house. And I, I don't know why it would have done that, but I mean, it, but it, it was bad. Yeah. And we hear those types of stories. I, I talked to a gentleman just the other day that uh, he had an experience that we put in our, our new newsletter. And it was basically about how, 
one night he was pinned to his bed, couldn't get up, couldn't move. And in a flash, he saw a face in front of his face and it was not a face that was from this world. Um, yeah. you know, it was very, very scary for him and something that stuck with him for you. Cause this happened years ago, a long time ago. And it was so vivid for him that it stuck with him this long that he was able to recall the story without missing yeah. a beat, you know? Oh yeah. Let's yeah, talk I mean, about, let, let's talk about the subconscious because that is an interesting take because what, what could they be telling us when, when we're asleep? Well, it could be anything. Uh, if it's a loved one, it could be reassurance. If it was an enemy, it could be, you know, vengeance. Or if it's something evil and demonic, it could be something really bad. And uh, in the hypnosis world, there's two theories. One is the, the subconscious never sleeps. And the other one is the subconscious is very biased and it filters out stuff. And so that's kind of what you got to work with. But uh, so, yeah, I mean, it's, there's no telling. I mean, uh, I built, I had a woman that lived in a house and uh, the house had burnt to the ground and uh, a man had died in it. And that man was basically protecting her. And whenever something would happen around the farm, she would hear a voice going, don't do that or call the police. And it was a good thing. But uh, we built a, a program that would increase her extrasensory perception. Um, I work with rife frequencies a lot. And uh, I can put people to sleep with my music. I can make them better gamblers. I can do all sorts of stuff with them. And, so, uh, so explain what the Rife frequency is. Okay. A guy named Dr. Royal Rife discovered that the brain uh, operated off of different frequencies. Like uh, um, like 7.86 is what they call the earth frequency. That's the frequency that the earth generates. Uh, you know, uh, delta waves, uh, gamma um, delta waves are usually for sleep. Um, hypnosis is usually in the kind of low betas. Um, and they're, they just, that frequency is associated with what the brain is doing. If that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> because there, there, there's like a vibration to everything, right? Yeah, there is. Yeah. I can... I can, uh, well, I, I use uh, hypnosis music to help me put people into hypnosis uh, when I do my seminars and stuff, because usually they're, they're all wound up about being in a building full of people, and I use music to relax them. I've got one called Elephant Tranquilizer that, that puts you pretty much to sleep for eight hours, and uh, <laughs> it's, it's really good, man. <laughs> oh, I bet. I bet. Have you... Let's let let's take a walk on the wild side, and maybe you've done this, maybe you haven't. But have you ever come across anyone in your work as a hypnotist who's who's maybe experienced like a past life or anything like that? Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, girl up in Kansas, um, she was going through a divorce, and by sheer dumb luck, I ran into her, met her, told her what I did, and we started working together. She was a uh, strategic consultant, 
um, and she had worked for Payless, and I had worked for Payless a long time ago as a imaging consultant. And uh, anyway, we did a relaxation session, and she kept saying, "I don't think anybody is heard hearing my voice." And it got worse and worse, and finally, we started digging into it, and she believed that she had lived uh, in Pompeii prior to the eruption and that the person that she was had died, but it, she wasn't dead. She was in a coma and they buried her alive. Wow. And, uh, but that came out. And once we addressed it, she was able to move forward with the divorce mm. and she's working for a big company now. You know, General Patton believed he was reincarnated several times. Oh yeah, oh yeah. And and he would, you know, he could look at a battlefield in in um, in Europe and 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 basically tell him this is what happened, you know, or this is yeah. where I was. And so, you know, do you think? Uh, I mean, just your personal opinion. Do you think there's something to that? Well, there's too many documented things where only somebody been in there would know. And uh, I always have an open mind to it uh, because you, you just don't know. Right. And, um, they had a, a girl. Um, she claimed to have lived hundreds of years ago and she buried a treasure and she took her family to the treasure and they unburied it. And uh, this was in France. And so there's something out there. There's some, there's something going on. Did you ever come across the story of the young boy in Muskogee who believed that he was a World War II B-17 pilot? No, no, yeah, I have not. It, it's a very fascinating story. It happened a few years ago, and it got – it got legs. I mean, a lot of uh, news sources picked it up. You could probably just Google it and find it. I, I'm going to. I'm, I'm curious. <laughs> yeah. So, so he 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 would he would describe the cockpit of an airplane, and he would uh, see an, a, a picture of an airplane. He could be able to, you know, he would tell his parents what the plane was and what it did, and different different aspects of the airplane. And it was it was always a World War II uh, era plane. And he actually, you know, when when quizzed about this stuff, could answer the questions correctly. I I believe it. I I did a uh, a woman that was uh, a Rosie the Riveter, um, and uh, actually, the Rosie the Riveter went and talked to this girl. She's one of my clients. She uh, she was dead for like thirteen minutes. And they brought her back. And since then, she's had these these weird things happen. And she'll call me, and I'll put her into hypnosis, and we'll find out what it is. But this woman that had talked to her uh, had been building World War II ships, uh, LSTs. Now, my client would have not known what an LST is, right. ship tank. Uh, but this woman knew all about it. And uh, described it, had a message that she needed to deliver to somebody, and uh, we tracked the guy down, and the guy knew exactly who we were talking about. So, wow. there's something out there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no doubt. Um, 
Danny Snow joins us from Mulgee, Oklahoma. Danny is a uh, career uh, veteran in the U United States Army, uh, multiple tours over in the Middle East, in Iraq. Um, he's also a hypnotist and has uh, many, many years and a lot of work in that field, amongst uh, many other things. Danny, if there was something that people could do for themselves without having to uh, call you or call someone else, that could just get them in a better or proper mental state, even, you know, while dealing with this pandemic, what, what, what would your advice be to them to kind of refresh mentally and, and get back on the right track? Well, it's called mindful breathing and mindful breathing. It's, it's basically, it's what they're teaching. Uh, well, um, to go back in time, uh, they started teaching it to the SEALs, and then Special Forces, Delta, and all those guys started picking it up. But mindful breathing is where you stop, and all you do is focus on your breathing. And you do this for about two minutes. Now, one time in Iraq, I was running for my life, and I did that a lot in Iraq. <laughs> and uh, it, I was hiding behind this wall. There's total chaos going on, and I was like, I need to breathe. And I just took a few breaths, <laughs> calmed down, got my, got my center back, and then we were able to, to, to get the heck out of there. But, uh, and, yeah, mindful breathing, most important thing. And that's the way to uh, trick the lie detector test, right? <laughs> well, I tell you, well, I've been working we, – I do a lot of work with lie detector guys. <laughs> yeah, we don't, have to, we, we don't have to disclose the secret. Um. But yeah, I mean, uh, it's, uh, yeah, I've talked to a lot of polygraph people. And the guy that trained me as a behavioral uh, practitioner, um, he, um, he's like, well, he's, he's one of Los Angeles's top 40 under 40 on the Zuckerberg list. Right. And uh, his, name, his name is Chase Hughes. And the guy's phenomenal. And, uh, just just totally phenomenal a guy by the name of rich guzzy uh he's the hardest working hypnotist in the business uh introduced me to him and uh incredible incredible guys well danny it's been great having you on the show and i think we probably need to do this again at some point because there are so many other things that we didn't have a chance to touch on and so many other questions that i had uh canned up and ready to go um it's just unfortunate that I couldn't get to all of it in an hour, but it's such a fascinating topic and uh, your work and not just in the hypnosis field, but your work in, in criminal law and uh, paranormal and just, just everything that you do. I think our listeners would get a kick out of hearing more of. So let's do this again one day soon. Yeah. Look forward to it. Thank you for having me on your show. Hey, Danny, stay on the line with us real quick. I'm going to run through this and then we'll get out of here. Uh, guys, if you are on Facebook, uh, go hit us up there. Send us your email so you can start getting that newsletter. Uh, this show and some things about Danny will be in the next newsletter as well. You want to check that out. And Danny, tell us if people wanted to find out more about you, where would they go and how can they get in touch with you? Uh, it would be uh, dannysnowhypnotist.com. And uh, that's that tells about me. Um, I've got some products there. 
the people are telling me I'm selling them way too cheap. So probably about the 30th of January, I'm going to raise all the prices on them on my stuff. Um, but uh, yeah, or Danny Snow CHT at gmail.com. And that would get, that'll get, a, get to me. All right. Perfect. And uh, I, I want to say a quick thank you to all of the international listeners. We've got people over in Japan and Mexico and uh, Sweden and uh, Romania. We've got a lot of fans all over the place and we want to always say thank you to them. And of course, thank you to everybody who tunes in on a weekly basis to check out the show. And again, you can find us on uh, Apple podcasts, Google podcasts. We're on anchor. We're on Spotify and Breaker. Anywhere you go to get your podcast, be sure and like us there. And uh, we're right here at Christmas time. So I hope everybody has a Merry Christmas. We've got a new year coming up. Next week, we've got on Ryan White. He's with uh, No Bro. They are the, uh, the Bigfoot group. They're out hunting Bigfoot in, in uh, southeastern Oklahoma. So we'll, we'll have him on and talk about that. So for Danny Snow, I'm Brad Heath. I appreciate everybody tuning in. We'll see you next week. 